Well, we are working through the book of Ephesians, hands down. Most, most commentaries will begin telling you this is the most important book of the Bible. That this is the book that grounds us as Christians. And it's not for those who just want to glance at the Bible and read about David killing Goliath. Oh, wonderful story. I got it. You can't read Ephesians 1 like that and walk away with any story. You've got to take it word by word, phrase by phrase. And then you have to search the scriptures to have understanding of what this means. And so we've been understanding grace and then comes peace. Last week, we looked at verse 5 and 6, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved, that we are adopted. It's not in Judaism. Judaism didn't have adoption. This is the Roman mentality. When you became adopted, you had full rights as a child. They could not make you a second-class citizen. You had full rights to all the inheritance as if you were a natural-born son in the Roman Empire. This is a powerful, powerful thought in the readers of this first century. And we learn that it's out of this good pleasure of his will that he's made us accepted in the beloved, that we are standing side by side with Jesus as a child of God, equal heirs along with Christ. In John 17, Jesus said, Father, this is my desire, that as I am in you and you are in me, that they would be in us and we in them exactly the same way in a perfect unity. Now, God is in triunity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and God will always be God. We're humans, we'll always be humans. We're humans in earthly suits. When the rapture comes, we'll be earthlings in heavenly suits. <laughs> but we'll always be humans. But nevertheless, God makes us humans, one with the eternal God. And he never sees us separate from himself. And that brings him great joy. And now we read today in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. This word redemption is actually two Greek words, which means to buy out of the marketplace. It's mainly used for that of buying a slave. And as we read the scripture, Christ is buying the slave that they can be free, a freeman. The price is blood. Not some blood. All your blood. So if Christ is willing to give all his blood, then we can be out of our slavery. And when Christ will give all his blood and buy us out of slavery, 
We are free men, free from all sin, forgiven of all sin. And this is by the riches of his grace. We don't deserve it. He didn't buy us because we're a big, strong slave. And boy, we'll really produce. No, we're free. We're freemen. Look at our calling. Not many mighty, not many noble. God chose us, the feeblest of the feeble, to reign and rule with him. Now, here's an interesting thing. As you read the Bible, you can hardly read a chapter of the Bible without seeing sin. The word sin. Did you know the word sin in the King James Bible? All the other translations, there's so many variations and they constantly change the new translations every year or so. You end up with so many different numbers. And people say, oh, I Googled that. It didn't come out that way. Well, the King James isn't changing. So we'll stay with that. The Texas Receptus. The Byzantine text. Chuck Smith believed it was the only Bible to preach from. And he told us as pastors, teach from the King James Bible. And uh, we said, oh, okay, we'll do the new King James. But Chuck, interesting enough, he taught the old King James, but he made it sound like new King James. He never had the these and the yees. And I, I just never got that gift to do that, that gift of tongues. And... So you, you read through the Bible, the word sin, 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 448 times. You know another thing you see almost every chapter of the Bible? The word blood. It's 447 times. Almost an exact match. Sin, blood, sin. Blood. Book of Revelation, sin, blood. From the beginning to the end. We, we see this beginning with Adam and Eve, don't we? Only one way to sin. That was it. Can you imagine only one way to sin? Anybody want to live on an earth like that? Do you think it would help you? It doesn't. Even if there was just one way to sin, of course, we know about 13 billion ways, don't we? And that's just sitting at home on our internet. That's not even talking about stepping out of the house. But yet one way was enough for the devil to deceive Eve and Adam to just obey his wife. He knew it was wrong. She didn't. She thought she wasn't sinning. She was deceived, but she was. But Adam knew he was sinning. And what do we find? That God, they realized they were naked. And God said, how do you know you're naked? Do you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Of course, he knew. And the next thing it says, that God took the skin of an animal. I believe it's a lamb. I think as you read through Genesis, it's lamb, lamb, lamb. But he gave them the skin, the first blood offering. Adam and Eve never seen death before. Remember, the Lord said, in the day you eat of that tree, you'll die. They started the physical death process. But more than that, there was a spiritual death unless there was a blood sacrifice. You see, the blood sacrifice would put our sins in to remission. The New Testament says, 
the blood of Christ gives us redemption. But in the Old Testament, you got remission. You know what happens if you have cancer and it goes into remission? You still got the cancer, right? <laughs> it's just not going to kill you right now. Might come back and kill you later, but it's not going to kill you right now. And so God, by the blood sacrifice, and Adam and Eve, I'm sure they're looking going, ah, what's going on? That poor little lamb, it was just innocent. It had nothing going on. It, it died, and, and God would say, your sin killed this lamb. You know, in that whole Genesis time, all those years of Exodus, they, they had and were required by God, even though it wasn't written in the law exactly how to do it, and the priests were to be the ones that were to do it. Before that, we see all the way through Genesis, these blood sacrifices. You could imagine Adam and Eve or one of the other people that lived on earth's home if they obeyed. They would tell the kids, hey, get the best little lamb born this year, the first year of the flock, a new innocent born lamb, a baby lamb. And find the best one. And they would get the best one, probably, they would bring it into their home because you don't want to leave it out there to get a little cut or bite or a bug or then it, then it had a blemish. It couldn't be used. So it probably came into the home. We see that in the story of David when Nathaniel said this one man there in Bethlehem had one little sheep and it was in his home as his pet and ate from his own table. It was probably the lamb he was going to give to be sacrificed but the rich man went across the street and took that little lamb and killed it and ate it for dinner because he had some friends come in from out of town and he didn't want to kill one of his own multitudes of sheep. But nevertheless, you could imagine the kids, maybe the first time they, they really started understanding it, going, where are we going? Well, we're going up the hill. And there they begin to walk and, and there they come and the dad starts getting some rocks and trying to put them in place and you couldn't get a hammer and do it real professionally. It just sort of had to be rough. And the dad would say, we've sinned, all of us. Put your hand on the head of this little sheep. Kids not quite understanding all are putting that head on the sheep. And dad pulls out the knife, and as their head's on that sheep, he slits its throat and drains all its blood, and the kids are, ah, keep your hand there. You can imagine, dad just killed their pet, slit its throat, bleeding it, and then to have to give a burnt sacrifice and explain, Adam and Eve, <laughs> They wouldn't be, none of us would be around if God did not provide for them in their place a blood sacrifice. And then we see Cain and Abel. Abel was a shepherd. Cain was a farmer. And Cain didn't like the idea that what he produced was not worthy of God. 
So he rebelliously said, I'm not going to kill a lamb. I'm going to burn the, the vegetables and the fruits that I've produced. And God rejected Cain's sacrifice, but accepted Abel. And that really infuriated Cain. And God said, sin is crouching at your door, Cain. You must rule over it. But Cain would not give a blood sacrifice. And in his anger, he killed his brother Abel. We know that Noah, after the flood, in Genesis 8, verse 20, it says, Noah built an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the smooth, the soothing aroma. And the Lord said in his heart, I will never curse the earth in total destruction with the flood again. Abraham, the first called man of God out of that present world to be his chosen people, left the Ur of the Chaldees. And it says that what he would do would go about building altars. In Genesis 12, it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, to your sentence, I will give this land. I will. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he moved from there to the mountain of east of Bethel and he pitched his tent and Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord and called the name of the Lord. Abraham was an altar building man, giving blood sacrifices to the Lord. And it was pleasing to God. And God finally gave him a son in his old age. And in his old age, only one son, but God had given him the promise that in your descendants, you and Sarah, all the descendants of the world will be blessed. And, and God says, Abraham, I want you to go and sacrifice that son, Isaac. It tells us in the New Testament that Abraham said, well, God already said to Isaac, your son will be, your descendants will be. So even if Isaac dies, God will have to raise him from the dead. And he had total faith in God raising from the dead. And so when he went to that Mount Moriah, I believe to the same place later the Ark of the Covenant would be there in Jerusalem. He started to kill his son Isaac and God held back his hand and said, now I see you will not withhold your only begotten son. And in the old King James, it gets it right. He says, God will provide not for himself as the new King James says, but it says God will provide himself a sacrifice. And there Jesus, the Son of God, would be the sacrifice. What a picture God gave there of Abraham. Well, then the children of Israel have become total paganized by 400 years in slavery to Egypt. And you remember that final 10th plague. God told the children of Israel that Judgment of God is coming on Egypt. And he tells them there in, in Exodus 12, and he says, what I want every household to do is go get a lamb. Offer it as a burnt sacrifice. I want you to pour the blood into a bucket. Now, in these days in Egypt, they had a bucket built into the floor of the house. So when you were to come into the house, you would wash your feet in the bucket and then step on in to the house. And God said, I want you to take the blood and pour it into that 
foot washing basin. And then I want you to take a hyssop branch. And I want you to take that blood and put it on the top of the doorpost. And then I want you to, on the lintel, he called it. And then I want you to put it on each side of the door. What's that in the shape of? A cross. And he said, everywhere I see that blood applied in that way. The cross. Each home will be spared. And the children of Israel will be obedient. And the firstborn of every man and animal died that night who didn't have the Passover. And God told them in Exodus 12, 24, you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. What do we find in the law of the priesthood? That God had to reject the tribes of Israel because of their idolatry, we read in Exodus. And so God, instead of choosing 10% of each family to be a priest, God said only one family, the Levites, can be priests. And God said the way it's going to be is you're going to need to give your blood sacrifice for forgiveness of sins, but you're going to have to go to a priest. There's got to be a mediator. And so the priests would make sure they were purified with the blood sacrifice. Then they would give the blood sacrifice on behalf of the family, like I described. They would bring the lamb, put their hand on the head, slit its throat, a blood sacrifice. And the high priest, once a year, would give the sacrifice for him to make sure he's clean, But then he would take and do a sacrifice on behalf of the whole nation. And he would take that blood only one time a year into the Holy of Holies and pour it upon the Ark of the Covenant called the mercy seat, like the chair of God, where there was seraphim on each side of it. And he would pour that blood and the sins of the nation would be covered for that year. And so there had to be a partaker of not just a family by themselves, but it needed a priest. And it also needed a high priest in order for their sins to be covered. We learn in Leviticus 17, verse 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. In Hebrews 9, 22, And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission. So Israel, this is how they did it. Year after year, up and down, idolaters, pagans, attacks, being taken away captive into other lands. And finally, they came back into the land under Zerubbabel. The temple was built under Ezra. The walls of the city were built by Nehemiah. And then they started this religion that was familiar to Jesus' time. Really, nothing like the Old Testament law that Moses had given. It was a Pharisaical system that went on for years where the Pharisees were really running the things and they weren't necessarily, they were not priests. They were just self-appointed guys with their doctorates in theology. 
And then they had debates and they had splits. And so you had a number of different splits of the Pharisees and, and some are Sadducees and, and all of these people and the, really the real religious group, the Sanhedrin, were a mixture of different people, not, not Levites. They had this whole religious system. But yet at the very last book of the Bible, we find that the children of Israel were burdened by everything God asked them to do. And I won't read all of Malachi, but it's not a very big book. But in chapter 1, verse 7, you offered defiled food on my altar. You say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And you offer the blind as a sacrifice. Is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? And in a little bit, in chapter 1, he says, and the sheep you stole and offered them. Offer then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he be acceptable and favorably, says the Lord of hosts? And in Malachi 1.3, you also say, oh, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick, and thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? And the answer is no. And there's 400 years of silence. The Old Testament ends 400 years of silence. <clears throat> You've got this weird, cultish, Jewish practice that's nothing like written. As a matter of fact, much of it contradict, contradicted the Bible. A lot of contradictions in the religious system that the Jews had formulated. It was demonic. Jesus said so. And after 400 years of silence, the first words we hear from God, that from the last, the greatest Old Testament prophet, Jesus said of all the men who lived up to this point, going back all the way to Adam, there is none greater than John the Baptist. He would close the door to the Old Testament. And his prophetic words would introduce the New Testament. And after years of baptizing people, telling them, I have to say, repent. Have a contrite, broken, humble heart. Realizing you're a sinner. That's it. I just need you to be broken over the fact that you're a sinner, would you do that? That's it. If you'll do that, I'll baptize you. Because there is one coming who will not just put your sins into remission, but there is one coming who will take away your sin. And one day John is baptizing and there is his cousin, Jesus. And right there, the Father reveals it to him. And in John 1.29, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then in John 1.36, he's looking at Jesus as he walked. He's right looking into Jesus' eyes. And he says, Behold, the Lamb of God. God, in essence, said, I weary you. I'm a burden to you. I make you leave your homes and come and sing and celebrate. I burden you with a tithe. You got to give me your tithe. 
Oh, God's so mean. He won't let me keep 95%. He wants me to only have 90%. What an evil, oppressive God. And then, of course, they had offerings above that. So it really wasn't 10%. That was the minimum, minimum, minimum. They had offerings of various kinds. If you add it all up, it's sort of like California. It was 23 and a third taxes. But that was also paying for the civil government, paying for the social government of taking care of the poor and the needy. It did a lot more than just, but the tithe was simply the salaries of the priest. It's a burden to go up to Jerusalem. It's a burden to have to be there so long. And God finally just said, I don't receive it anymore. I don't accept it. You'll give me the stolen and the blind and the crippled and the deformed and the diseased. But then the next thing we say, God says, I have only one lamb. And that is my son. And I am willing to give you not 10%. I'm willing to give you 100%. Because I love you. And God so loves the world. He gave his only begotten, his only unique one. No other one did God have. The second person of the Trinity, fully God, to come in to human flesh. Why? The Bible makes it clear to us that he could have blood to give as a sacrifice. That's it. He came into human flesh. Yes, the main reason, oh, there's a million reasons, but the main reason is that he could offer himself as a blood sacrifice. And God says, you're unwilling to give me a tithe, you're unwilling to give me a worthy sacrifice, I'm gonna give you the ultimate sacrifice, and show you the way by my example. Well, it tells us in Luke 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John, that is, John the Baptist. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing in on it. Well, we come to the New Testament, and what do we learn? That the law never could save. That even if somebody could come to a point in their life, maybe at 35, and they could start keeping all 613 laws of the Torah, and they kept all 613 laws perfectly, it still wouldn't have produced righteousness. Because what do you do with the sins you committed before you were 35? They're still very much there that have to be paid for. But the blood sacrifice, it just covered it. It didn't take it away. Romans 3 tells us the predicament all of us were really in. 
As it's written in Psalms 14 and Psalms 53, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They've together become a profitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet is swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Sort of a description of Antifa there. Um, but it's definitely <laughs> but it's definitely a description of me as well. No exaggeration there. You want to know the real Brian? I hate to tell you, but that's me. Ask my wife, she'll tell you about it. But it goes on in verse 19 and 20. Now we know whatever the law says, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53, ouch. It says to those who are under the law, who in other words are breakers of the law, they're not above it, that every mouth might be stopped. Stopped from what? I'm a good person. I have good intentions. I'm sincere. That any man thinks that he in his own goodness has the righteous right to enter heaven forever. Stop that nonsense. And all the world may become guilty before God. Not just the Jews, but all the Gentiles as well. Everybody might see we need a Savior. And our disease is not something that can be cured with an antibiotic or an aspirin or some rest. That this disease is rotting us to the core and there is never going to be an answer from anywhere except from God. And in Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. That's it. That's it. The law showed me. Don't use God's name in vain. Well, that would be blasphemy. Who would ever do that? Me. I raised four kids, three of them were boys. I, I, I don't know where they learned those words. You know, probably Cheryl's side of the family, I don't know. Her dad was a pastor, her mom, pastor's wife, sister, wonderful Christian. No, I, I don't know, they didn't hear from me either. They really didn't. Even though I thought it a lot, I never said it. But man, I mean, they were barely talking but a few months and all of a sudden they use all of these words when they're mad. It's like, my, where did you, who you been hanging out with? You're only five years old. I mean, it's not like, but boy, out of the abundance of their heart, we realize, wow, the knowledge of sin. Isaiah 64, 6, we know this well. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousness like filthy rags. We are all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have been taken away from us. Another very familiar verse, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's a deep, deep wickedness in all of us. And if you don't see that, God's Spirit has to first show you that before you can be born again. 
John 16 says, God's spirits in the world convict him of sin and of righteousness of judgment. God's bringing him to this truth of, of the truth of us that I am evil. I am a sinful person. I am wicked. Yes, any sin is possible for me. Anybody is capable of lying. Anybody is capable of sexual sin. Anybody is incapable of getting so angry they would murder somebody. Yes, we need a Savior. In Romans 3, 24 and 25, it says this, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by what? By His blood. Romans 3.25 Through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. What's the New Testament Passover? <laughs> when God passed over and didn't bring destruction on them? The blood has to be applied again. But this time it's not a physical house with physical blood. It's now us all looking back to the cross and God is saying, my blood will apply to you and God will pass over us and not no longer, as it says in John 3.16, God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish. We have the New Testament Passover the blood is applied by God upon the doors of our own heart for us. Revelation 1.5, I love this verse. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Jesus has washed us of all our sins, past, present, and future, in His own blood. Now, some of you are going, Brian, I brought somebody here today with me, and they're not really born in Christianity. They don't know about that, and you're talking about blood. You just said God washes people in blood. Do you realize how disgusting that is, to even that imagery? Yeah, I do. But to those of the natural mind, we'll never get it. But to those of the spiritual mind, they know how deep their sinful condition goes. And they know there's no soap and water that can give us a bath. <laughs> they know there's no philosophy of man that can give us a bath. They know the scrubbing that has to go on is so deep down inside me. The depths of it, I don't know where it ends. Just said that in Jeremiah 17. The heart of man is deceitful above all things. And be wicked. Who can know it? I've got sin on top of sin on top of sin. And it goes down deep, deep, deep into my soul that must be a billion light years deep, sin goes in me. Yes, the message we have to the world has a death. 
has a torture on a cross. Has a torture in such a way that the blood is not minimal. (laughs) But the amount of blood spilt by Jesus is incredibly significant. They took him and they beat him unusually so putting a bag over his head and hitting him, slapping him, pulling out his hair out of his head, out of his beard. After many punches and strikes and slaps, they put a crown of thorn upon his head. The day when he took up the bowl on the horizontal part of the cross and began to walk through the Via Della Rosa, the way of suffering, his face would have been bloated. His eyes maybe not even be able to see out of them. It would have been so puffed up and black and blue. The forehead bleeds like crazy, guys. Thorns in it. Blood would have been coming down his face for quite some time. Probably before he got going, just as it says in Isaiah, that his face was marred more than any other man or literally past the point of looking like a man. Dried blood covered his face, probably looked black and dark. His face so puffed up and distorted, he didn't even look human. Spitting on him still, ripping out his beard still, beating, throwing rocks at him. The time that Jesus got to the cross, which would spill a lot of blood, he had already spilt a lot of blood. The gospel message we have Is God so loved the world that He sent His Son to come into human flesh to die because you are that sinful, to be tortured and crucified and nails in His hand, crown upon His head, beaten and bloodied and bruised. Lots of blood was shed. Today, in the last, really, maybe even 80 years, many Denominational churches, they, they, they want to change the story to not be gory. They want to change the story to be more palatable to the average working class American. And so if you know you're a bad person, or maybe you know you could be better than you are, then, then just accept Christ into your life. Really? That's it? Yes, he's got a wonderful plan for your life and you just need to realize that your way is not as smart as his way. And so just sort of say, sorry, God. And, and he's going to say, good going. I'll line up and start living in my path in the story. That's not the message that brings salvation though, is it? You can't have Christianity without a cross. You cannot have redemption Without blood, without the shedding of blood, Leviticus, Hebrews, there is no forgiveness of sins. Yes, Christ loved us and he washed us in his blood. And if you with spiritual ears can do that, then you can be saved. The natural mind says these things are foolishness. To the Greeks, foolishness. To the Jews, a stumbling block. But to those who are willing to hear, it's the wisdom 
and the power of God. In Romans 5, verse 8 and 9, but God demonstrates his own love towards us and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. You can't put the blood back in the bottle or the body. (laughs) You see, we were slaves to sin. And when we said, Lord, you died in my place, you shed your blood that I can be forgiven. I believe you, Lord. I receive that. I receive your sacrifice as my substitute. Your blood, your death in place of my punishment. If I don't receive that, I'm going to have to pay for my sins. And the Bible says it'll be eternity in hell to pay for your sins. That's how deep they go. But I only live 75 years. Yeah, it's going to take eternity to pay for your sins. It never will happen. Your sins will never be paid for, even after eternity in hell. You see, we're not preaching the gospel so for good people can be better. We preach the gospel because people are going to hell without Christ. He alone is the name in which men can be saved. There is no other. He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. We are not getting out of our comfort zone on our neighbor's door because we want good men to be better. It's because we want people saved from hell. What's it say here in Romans 5? That God demonstrates his own love for us. That Christ died and justified us with his blood. What if Jesus said, well, I'd I'd like to go to earth, but I don't know if you really want me there. What if they reject me? What if they slam the door in my face? What if they decide they don't like the God that created the world? I just can't handle that kind of rejection. Mm. Yes, it's the same story, isn't it, guys? Paul says, I preach Christ and am crucified. And Galatians 6 says, you can look at the scars in my body that I preach the cross. I'll prove it to you, I preach the cross. Because I have scars all over my body from saying that. That your sins are so great. Your mouth is full of bitterness. Your whole body is full of deceit. Read Romans 3 again. None who seeks after God. None good. No, not one. Our mouth is an open tomb. Yes, we're wicked. And it took the death of God's only begotten Son to pay for our sins that we might go from death into life. We now are justified from the wrath to come. There is no more wrath. If you believe upon the Lord, you will be saved. He's rich to all who call upon his name. It's a done deal. You're out of slavery. You're not going back into slavery. He wrote your name in the book life. You are going to heaven. It's as a gift of God. In Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Very similar to Ephesians 1.7. 
Colossians 1, 19 to 22. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through what? The blood of the cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet he has now reconciled in the body of his flesh. In the body of his flesh, Colossians 1.22. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy with and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Do we understand what this blood did? It didn't just cover it for a year. It didn't just forgive you of your sins. The blood of Christ has caused us to be accepted to God as his child forever. And once you say, I believe the blood of Christ to forgive me of my sins, it keeps on purging. It never stops. You sin, cleansed. Sin, cleansed, sin, cleansed. So when we leave this body, we are going to be perfect. White as snow without spot or blemish. Oh boy. <laughs> Let me skip over and I'll come back to this at the very end, of the last page, verse nine, and then we'll go back to verse seven. I just want to point this out. But if we walk in light as he is in light, his, we have fellowship with another and What? The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses and keeps on cleansing us from all sin. What is it to come into the light to say it's not by my works? It's as a free gift of God. That's, how, that's the light. Well, doesn't it mean to live holy and righteous? I wish we could. <laughs> I, I wish we could. I, I, I wish that there was a point where I could start living holy and righteous enough to be called righteousness. But in this human body, our best efforts of being righteous are still as filthy rags before God because of these sinful bodies. There's no good thing that dwells in us. Back in 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were redeemed, knowing that you were not <laughs> redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from the aimless conduct Received by tradition, not from the Bible, but by tradition from your fathers. But how have we been redeemed? With the precious blood of Christ. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Do we hear this, guys? By the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We were not redeemed by some minimal, average, common, run-of-the-mill thing that's pretty much found anywhere you look. There was one thing that could save us, and that is if God sent His Son. That is if the Son loved us enough willing to come into human flesh. Imagine if you would. You walk outside to throw your trash away. And oh, you get that smell. Maggots. And of course, us guys, we got to look at it. So we hold our breath and we take a look and there it is. 
maggots all over, crawling, gooey, slimy things, so many of them. And you look at those maggots and you go, they're such disgusting things, they're going to be destroyed. That'll be the best thing for them. But your heart gets touched. And you say, I want every maggot that's ever been created to live with me forever. And so you change yourself into a maggot. And you go and you preach to all the maggots. And somehow you're able, through being tortured and killed, you're able to save all the maggots so all the maggots can come and be maggots with you forever and ever. You say, ugh, that was such a, you know, humans to maggots. Why can't you said like sparrows or, you know, cute little, you know, squirrels or something? Why maggots? That's such a, ugh. Okay, guys, let me tell you, the distance between us and a maggot is zillions of light years closer than God coming into human flesh. It was far, far, far greater of a descent, was it not? Are we worthy? Would we ever be worthy? Are we something special and beautiful? We should not say, oh yes, God loves us. Oh yes, Christ came and died. Oh yes, you know, the cross, the cross, blah, 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 blood, the stone of the way, buried through dead, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, this. Guys, let us not insult the spirit of grace. Let us not trample with our passivity, or our boredom, trample underfoot the cross of Christ. Let us understand that we were damned to eternal hell, and that is still the fate of everybody. But God allowed it in Christ that all things are in Him. Every sin in Him on the cross. Every sin paid by his torture, his blood that he shed, his death and resurrection, every sin forgiven. Hitler's? Yes, all the Hitler's. Ted Bundy? Yep, all the Ted Bundy sins too. Yeah, every wicked sin, Christ paid for them all. That anyone, whoever so believes in him, whoever will, let them come. He's rich to all who will come. Ephesians 2.13, verse we'll look at in, I don't know, 2022. Um, it says, Ephesians 2.13, And now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by what? By what? Come on, guys. Ephesians 2.13. By the blood of Christ. Are we starting to see a pattern here? Look to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Now when these things had been thus Prepared, the priest always went into the first part of the tabernacle, performing the service. Oh, I wish I could read all of Hebrews 9 and 10, actually 7, 8, 9, and 10, but we're just going to look at a few select verses. Hebrews 9, verse 7 now. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood. How dare him even consider that God would forgive their sins without blood? 
which he offered for himself and then for the people's sins committed in ignorance. In Hebrews 9, verse 11 and 12, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not with this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Do you get this, guys? It was a common thing. The tribe of Levite, it was a regular old thing. Another sacrifice, another blood sacrifice. Okay, here comes another year. And the high priest is going in with us. Oh boy, don't, don't, stop. You forgot the blood. How could you be put to death? You walk in the holy holies without blood. And then you do it again next year and next year and next year. But Christ, the high priest, didn't need to have a sacrifice for his own sins. Didn't go into a temple made by man's hands. But went into the actual temple into heaven. Actually to the mercy seat, which is the throne of God the Father. And there he presented his human blood that he spilt unto the Father that our sins would be taken away forever. Past sins, present sins, future sins. Do we understand that? When Christ put the blood in the temple, it wasn't just your past sins forgiven. When Christ died, it was 2,000 years ago, right? All our sins were future. This is why it's so important we get this and understand this. We have a good news. We have a gospel. And that gospel is believe on the Lord and you're saved forever. No takey backies. It's done because this is by the blood of the Son of God. In Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the what blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serving the living God. Boy, God, keep working on my dead conscience, my dead works. Hebrews 9.22, once again, and according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Hebrews 10.4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Never could happen. A sinful high priest going in with the blood of an animal. It never was sufficient. It was always just a picture of what could be if God did it. In Hebrews 10, verse 10 through 12, by that will he, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Now he's talking not about justification, but sanctification. And every priest standing, ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which could never take away sins. But this man, after he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, have boldness to enter the holiest by what? By the blood of Jesus. Do you understand all that's accomplished into Christ? He says it over and over again. Confidence. 
We're now coming confidently. Remember when Jesus on the cross, the first act he had when he died? Ripped, right? The veil of the temple from top to bottom. For the first time, regular old people could look right into the Holy of Holies. And he is saying, now we all are high priests unto God. All of us can go boldly, confidently, forever. Because we, like Christ, are seen by the Father without sin. But, but, but I did. But you're immediately cleansed. When God's pricking your heart about something, it's a conviction, it's a loving hug. <laughs> I remember my little guys, you know, they'd just be going, 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 and they were doing something. I, I can remember having to grab them when they're five, six, seven, eight, and just hold them still for a minute, turn them around, get their face, put my hands on each side of their face, and look into their face and say, Inside voices. <laughs> they got it. Sometimes God has to do that to us. But he never has to say, I'm going to leave you in the desert to die. No. In the blood of Christ is redemption, justification, sanctification, a continued grace, mercy, and forgiveness to the end. In Hebrews 10, 14, this is your memory verse. Please, memorize it. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. It's been a done deal. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself, it's emphatic, by himself with no aid of any humans, sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. Back to Hebrews 13, 12. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people, how? With his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Hebrews 13, 20 to 21. Get this, guys. We're at the very end of Hebrews now. Now may the God of peace, oh, take a breath, the God of peace. We once were far off, he's brought near, once at war with God, now he's brought us into peace. Who bought, brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep. How? Say it with me, guys through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Let's say it again. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Verse 21, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's go back to Ephesians 1, 7 and see if we understand it now. In him, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. How powerful 
these handful of words are. And right now we need to apply this blood of Christ to your life. If you're right here right now and you are not a believer, or maybe you're here right now and you're a weak believer, you've been thinking you've been losing your salvation, you've been thinking you've been wandering around filthy and sinful as if God would ever allow his children to do that or his sheep to do that. Satan, that liar, that condemner, our own brains are brainwashed with Satan's ideas about us. Every time we sin, we confirm, I'm such a sinner. And we look back as far as we can remember and we see sin on top of sin, on top of sin, on top of sin, on top of sin, on top of sin. And now I look at my present sin and it's just one more in a dominoes of multitudes of sin. And I'm looking at myself going, look, before I was saved, it looks the same. After I'm saved, it looks the same. I'm a sinful, wicked, weak sinner. And I would say to you, don't insult the work of Christ. Don't minimize our Lord Jesus and his cross. Don't put him down as our shepherd. Don't talk about him dishonorably as our dad. Do not minimize what he did for us as our high priest. And he is not going to marry somebody that's not perfect as he is perfect. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we have become the righteousness of Christ. The Father looks at us through the blood of Christ. This is why in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, how do you walk in the light? By believing Jesus Christ and having faith in his work as a completed work. That's why we say we're saved, past tense. We're really not. Salvation is in our brand new bodies in heaven with the Lord. That's salvation. But we say it in the past tense because we know it's a done work. We, we say it's a done work. This is the gospel. We can go to our neighbors and say, if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ as a Savior, well, what do you mean? You're a sinner. I know God's Holy Spirit's already speaking to you. If you're appointed unto eternal life, you agree with me right now. As it says in 1 John 1.8, if you say you have no sin, then, then God can't help you. <laughs> but if you confess you're a sin, he's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And your name is in the book of life, and God will cleanse you and continue to cleanse you by his blood. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, and we end here. My little children, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He himself is the propitiation. Do you see that word, guys? That's an English creation word. That word in the English dictionary, go look it up. It's only used for this right here. It'll say in your English dictionary, 
referring to Jesus' blood as sufficient payment for our sins. This, in essence, is talking about the mercy seat and the blood being put on the mercy seat. Yeah, uh, propitiation. I don't remember reading that in any other literature. It's only here, guys. He himself, another place in the New Testament, but he himself is the propitiation, the blood atonement upon the mercy seat for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. This is why we take communion. To remember the blood. To remember his body broken. Oh, they did it, he says, to you and your children forever. You're going to remember the Passover. Be a part of the Passover. Well, we still do. We're partaking of it now. (laughs) By remembering that God came into human flesh and we were with Christ. We were with Christ when he was baptized. We were with Christ when he came out of the waters of baptism. We were with Christ on the cross. We were with Christ in his death. We were with Christ in his resurrection. And we're going to learn now we are with Christ at the right hand of the Father right now. Oh, not physically, but spiritually. It's already been done in the future. Christ sees it, the future and the past and the present equally. He doesn't look at the future going, oh man, I sure, I think I could be, it's a little blurry. To God, it's clear as day. He sees you in him at the right hand of the Father, seated with him in heavenly places. What are we going to be like? I don't know. But I know that when we see him, we will be just like him. And he who meditates on these things will purify themselves even as he is pure. So we come today to communion. You take out your cups. the top you'll see a plastic put over special COVID protection plastic CDC approved plastic I doubt it (laughs) Lord we take this right now this bread we know you're with us we know we're sitting at your table right now we know you see us seated together with you at the table in heaven right now but right now in earth Lord you want us to be confident You want us to see ourselves as you see us. By your broken body, Jesus, we are healed. By your stripes, we are healed. That every sin is washed and cleansed immediately by the power of your blood. That we now are with you in your broken body. And we have raised from the dead. And that all the old things have passed away. And that includes yesterday's old things. And now, two minutes ago, old things. You are cleansing us, washing us in the blood of your son, Jesus Christ. You love us. And so you're washing us and keep washing us and keep washing us so that every second in the present and in the future, we are holy without spot, without blemish because you are cleansing us. Oh God, we are sinners. We need a savior. We sense in our body, as Paul said, the things we don't want to do, we do. Things we do want to do, we don't do. Oh, wretched man. We feel it every day, but we also know by faith there's no condemnation. That nothing can separate us. Stop your love 
from washing us in the blood of the Lamb, that you love us, and that neither things past or present or future, principalities or powers, nothing on this earth, nothing in the heavenlies, nothing in the spiritual realm can ever change the finished work of salvation. And we thank you now for that finished work. We thank you now for the joy and the peace we have in believing that we are saved. Our name is in the book of life. There's a new name you have for us and we are gonna be your bride forever and ever in heaven. Lord, give us faith right now. What do you need? It tells us in the gospels by stripes, we've been healed physically. It says by stripes, we've been healed emotionally. By stripes, we've been healed spiritually. You need forgiveness of your sins right now. Quietly in, in your heart. God, hears the meditations of our heart. Just say, God, forgive me. Cleanse me. Wash me. Heal me. Thank you, Lord. Be it unto you according to your faith. This is the body of Christ that was broken for you. Take in remembrance of him. In the same way he took the blood of the new covenant. Our sins have been forgiven, are being forgiven, will always be forgiven. We are pure without sin. We will always be pure without sin because that's how powerful the blood of Christ. Jesus being our high priest, Jesus being God eternal, but yet in human flesh, he can be our substitute, but he can only be our substitute forever. No buybacks. No blood goes back into the body. It's already been spilt. It's already accomplished what it was sent out to do, making us holy and righteous before him. Thank you, God, that we never have to fear anymore. Your perfect love has cast out all fear because fear involves judgment and there's no judgment of condemnation for us ever. That in our weakness, your strength is made perfect when our sinful and weak, your blood washes us. When we get angry and bitter, your Holy Spirit helps us. You'll never leave us or forsake us, though you're with us always, even to the ends of the earth. You began that good work, we'll finish it until the day we see Jesus Christ face to face. Rejoice in the Lamb who's slain. Rejoice that we, through the word, of our testimony and the blood of the lamb have victory forever and ever. Thank you, Jesus. We rejoice in your blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord.